electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the rally on this decision day for the Fed. The Investment Committee debating where your money might go from here no matter what happens in a couple of hours. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone. Let's check the markets. Careful how you look at it today, too. You do have new 52-week highs today for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. That Dow decline right there is basically all due to United Health. So take that with a grain of salt. And we're going to talk more about that later. However, Stephanie Link, um, does anything about this rally hang in the balance today? With this Fed decision, we think we know what the decision is going to be. We're not necessarily sure we know what comes after that, though. No, I mean, like, look, I think we're all expecting a hawkish pause, right? And I think the inflation numbers from yesterday and today really give them, give me confidence, give all of, of all of us confidence that they are going to pause. Um, how hawkish are they going to be? That's you mean the hawkish question. pause is they pause now, but then they signal they may go in July. They may go in July or hint. I think no matter what, they're going to talk about being data dependent. So we're all going to continue to be data dependent. So we're not going to really have answers about July. But if they leave us believing that it was a hawkish pause, does that upset the rally? No, I don't think so, because I think that's what we're pricing in right now. So if they're and if they're even a little bit more dovish, I think the market can go to the upside. And I think what's interesting, Scott, we've been talking about the broadening of the market, right, uh, for the last couple of weeks. It's not healthy to have 10 companies, 10 stocks account for 90 percent of the returns year to date. So the broadening is very positive. Why are we seeing a broadening? It's a couple of things. We got through the debt ceiling. We got through the bank crisis. We now are getting through inflation. Inflation is not perfect. It's still high. The Fed's still going to be focusing on that, but it's coming down quite substantially, and that is good news. And so as we kind of get through some of these things and we check mark these things, I think that's the reason why people are willing to look outside. And it's not just cyclicals. It's not technology versus cyclicals. It's like technology can cooperate and continue to do well, but it could be also other parts of growth that can participate, right? It could also be small caps. It could be international, which is what we're seeing. So I think that's more healthy, and I hope it will continue. Joe? So I think the most challenged position to have, in particular after today's Fed meeting, is those that bought money market funds. I think if you are sitting at a money market fund after today, you have a real problem because how are you now going to time your way back into the market? The Federal Reserve, for the better part of the last year, was behind. They were basically jogging when the market was running, the bond market was running. So therefore they had to sprint. And it's reflected in the real Fed funds rate. Look at the real Fed funds rate, which is the Fed funds rate minus the inflation rate. This is now the second consecutive month that that's in positive territory. One year ago, that was minus 600 basis points. So the Federal Reserve, they didn't have to go from jog to a run. They had to go from a jog to a sprint. So even if they were to raise, 25 basis points at some point in the future, 
I don't see that as problematic for the recovery that we have had. Yeah, why do you think people are going to pull their money out of money market funds if, if, you, if we get a hawkish pause? Why, why would because they do that? The, because, I don't see that because at all. Because those, first of all, if you're sitting in a money market fund relative to equities, you're massively underperforming. Now on the other side of that is fixed income. If we've seen the high for yields, if you have peak yields, peak monetary policy, what'll happen is credit conditions will improve, the soft landings coming back into play, high yield and investment grade, you're ultimately gonna get a better return and those money market yields are gonna begin to deteriorate as we move forward. Yeah, but not if, not, not if, Kerry, the Fed makes you think that they're gonna keep rates where they are for a long time. They, they, they may be done hiking. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're cutting. They may be sitting. Right, exactly. And, and that would, we expect that, that that's what's going to happen. And I don't think the Fed is going to be particularly hawkish. And I believe that the rally does depend somewhat on the tone of hawkishness versus dovishness that we hear from the Fed. Because if we notice what's happened over the last month, the last month, we've seen some broadening of the market. Look at small caps. There's a chart we put together. It shows that small caps mm -hmm. are up more than the S&P. Now, I understand that the mega cap, you know, seven are up tremendously. But there's been a move, you know, it's 8% roughly versus 5 Five-ish for the S&P over the last month, and that's because they believe investors believe that the Fed's done for now. I mean, done. I think for the rest of the year. Well, look, because once, you, once yeah. you stop, I don't really care what they say. You can make the argument that once you stop, it's awfully hard to restart. Sure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I I think that what the market has been building up to is to let other parts of the. Um, uh, S&P and the broader market catch up with these mega caps and start to see some participation. If it's 2% for the overall market and, you know, it's it's three sectors, discretion, uh, consumer discretionary, communication services and technology that are up 35% on average this year. And I mean, the rest of the market is not I up think, anything. To that point, I think they I mean, can start and stop, Scott. I do. I don't think I mean, it just makes it a little harder, sort of, once you stop. You've yeah. done, you would have done 10, right. okay, to this point. And if you say you're now going to not do one and you've had inflation data pretty good, well, it may be harder to just restart. Right. My again. point being like they could they could stop and then restart if the data gets bad. Right. If the inflation data starts to turn uh, and go higher. Yeah, I think that that gives them cover. I mean, this is a really this is a challenging time for the Fed. They were behind the curve on both sides. So I don't know if they want to get it wrong three times. On the notion of, you know, what parts of the market can can do well, Kerry's chart was, was pretty telling, Joe. And Chris Harvey over at Wells Fargo says, we believe the rotation into mid and small caps that started earlier this month has legs. So this broadening of the rally, which has made the rally feel better and look more healthy to, to people, um, may have some legs, according to him. And maybe according to Kerry. Do you agree? I do agree with that. And I think a lot of the reasoning goes back to my initial uh, comments where credit conditions are ultimately going to uh, improve. The expectation that we would see significant defaults in uh, credit, I don't think that's going to be the ultimate reality. And I think when you're when you're thinking about this Fed policy and the effect on the select equity size classes, small, mid and large, the real challenge for small and mid is if we were to go back to the days of the 50 and 75 basis points, and we're not, we're not oh, going God. back to that. That'd be tough. But, and we're not going back to that. And I think you realize that the Fed has finally caught up 
to the bond market caught up to inflation. And that's a good thing for small, a good thing for mid, because last year was all about 50 and let's go to 75 four consecutive times. That was the challenge. Well, small I don't know. It's like yeah, you could make the argument, though, that the bond market's the one that caught up to the Fed, not the Fed catching up to the bond market. The bond market was the one that was out of alignment with the Fed more than the Fed out of alignment with with the bond market. So, you know, may, maybe they've come to, you know, a, a bit of a closer view there. I the, think the regional banking stress contributed to that. So the other idea is whether you think the bulls are, are, are really in control uh, of the market after after coming back 20 percent from the from the bottom, this alleged new bull market. Wolf's Rob Ginsburg, man, have I been wrong? Uh, he said <laughs> tough month to be a bear. And they've been bearish. I mean, Wolf has been almost I think, gosh, I don't know, for the last year, it feels like and, and I might be wrong. And if I might apologize for, for that, but. Um, they've been bearish for a while, and every snippet of every note virtually that we've put in our show from them has been negative. Um, they say we're firmly overbought. When you have strong momentum tailwind, though, these conditions can persist and become even more extreme. So, you know, even the bears are saying, mm, I don't know, this, yeah, this might wrong. have legs. They've been wrong for a year, and earnings have held up. We've talked about that. The economy has held up. It's stronger than expected. The Atlanta Fed GDP now at 2.2%. No one was thinking of that. And I actually think you probably could surprise to the upside, right? Inflation is coming down. That's good for companies and corporate profits as well. So I think the momentum in earnings can get better. I thought, earning, I thought infl- higher inflation was, was better for corporate earnings. Well, I think higher inflation. No, I would say higher inflation is well, bad for, was. For, for input costs. That's what I'm talking about. Input costs come down and you still have some pricing power. Maybe not as much as when inflation was really booming, but I do think that you'll see better margins or margins at least that will hold up. And so if you have an economy that holds up and you have that helps the top line and then you have this input cost coming down, you also have a dollar that's not out of control and a big headwind. It's not the tailwind it was a couple of months ago. You add it all up and and I think, yeah, you can make a case to be continue to be bullish and then we talk as we're talking about the broadening that makes me feel better i don't yeah. know about you guys but Absolutely. i don't think when you have 10 stocks that account for 90 percent of the yeah, returns 73 percent this year that's troublesome yeah right and, and so many other stocks yeah. are, are either flat or down yeah, right yeah, so i think that there's a lot of opportunity about that um opportunity do we think tech has run its course for a bit or no market action would suggest the answer to that is no yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, what, we're, it, what, what we're experiencing, no, it, it, looks like te- it looks like tech can continue to go higher. It doesn't have to go up at the rate that it's been advancing. I mean, it's been ridiculous. They, no, don't take them, take away ridiculous. It's been great. Um, but it, yeah, because it's you been win a lot extreme. of <laughs> Yeah, but, it, but it's been a- extreme. And so one would expect that if the market broadens, the money's going to come from somewhere. So some of it, I think, will come from some of the mega caps, even as think, other people really buy. So? Oh, they can why continue it to come go from, up. Why, maybe cash. it would come from cash. Maybe it would come uh, from Joe's yeah. money markets. Yeah, maybe well, it would come from bonds. It maybe could. it would come from gold. I, I, I don't know. But the rate of growth, I don't think, is going to be as high. The market can go up just fine with more participation, which, you know, I'm hoping that's what, what happens. Tesla so, up 13 days in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 13. Listen, yeah. NVIDIA closed yesterday above a trillion dollars in market cap. Wedbush, as Dan Ives said, can tech go higher? Yes. As the AI revolution takes hold and the Fed waves the white flag, says this is 95, not 99. Yeah, Don't be I, confused. I, I think you need to think about technology in terms of where we're we going to be at the end of the year, not so much where we're we going to be in the next 90 days, because understand within the next 90 days, when you study the historical statistics, 
this has the highest probability to be a flat or negative quarter July through September. So we sit here on June 14th. If you were to tell me the market's in the same place on September 14th, I'll raise my hand and I'll say, I'll absolutely take that because we never really got a significant correction. So you think about where we're going to be six months from now. Without question, all the evidence is suggesting leadership is back. It is in technology. And that is something that for the very first time since the pandemic is going to remain in place through the end of the year. The problem for most money managers is that they are turning a battleship and battleships turn very, very slowly and they are not able to turn fast enough into the technology trade. And I think that's why a lot of people are frustrated right now. So there's no indication that Wall Street thinks that these stocks are not going to continue to go up. I mean, Meta, Piper Sandler today uh, raises the price target to 310. They reiterated outperform. Wolf raises Meta's price target carry to 330. I feel like we have a, an opportunity for a good conversation here. It's it's maybe your largest overweight position, or certainly one of them, right. whereas Steph's been trimming that stock recently. So it's a tale of two perspectives on us on the same stock that's done real well. Mm -hmm. What's your take first? So I, I understand why anyone trims a stock that's had the kind of move that Meta has had. So it's not as if we're not going to trim it at some point. The peak of the stock was about 380. Um, the company is in better shape, in our opinion, than it was when it was at its peak because it did not recognize at the time some of the factors that are playing in the market. It didn't understand that the metaverse was not where all their attention ought to be. They didn't understand that they had too many employees, that they had too many people in different directions that were not efficient. So cost cutting has been a factor. The focus on the businesses that are good businesses um, and how to monetize Instagram more and WhatsApp are more important to Meta and the management of the company. And it's not an expensive stock. It still trades at a market multiple. We think it has room. But if it were to get back to its all-time high, then I would think for sure we would consider. I mean, as the stock went up, it became 8% of my portfolio. Yeah, and right. so that's a lot, right? Yeah. So I'm just trying to control risk a little bit. But at the same time, you have to admit, Carrie, that a year ago, this stock was trading at 11 times forward estimates. Yes. Say, granted, they were depressed earnings. I got it. Yeah, no, um, and it point. was a cost-cutting story, not a revenue growth story, which yeah. it is now. But it's now trading at 21 times. Right. It was trading at seven times EBITDA. It's yeah. now trading at 18 times yeah. EBITDA. So to yeah. me, that's a big re-rating. And I think a lot of good news, not all of the good news, because I still own a big chunk of it, yeah. but I think a lot of the good news is actually in the, in the stock. I mean, every, no one was talking about the revenue side of the equation right. all year long, only until about a month and a half yeah. ago. And then all of a sudden, like, the light turned on and, um, and all of these things started to click for... For, for, for Meta, right? It was Reels yeah. and it's click for message or click to message. Well, let me and just ask you this. And it's a lot. 8% is also a lot. Just we a don't lot. have 8%. The danger in thinking that all of the, in your words, good news is, is in the stock, I mean, conventional wisdom would tell you yes, but AI is the most unconventional of True. transformational things that we're, we're talking about now. Right. So how do you know how to value something like that as to what it really means, well, to whether you know it's in the stock or not. Because well, what we thought was in NVIDIA was obviously not based on the yeah. guidance that they gave. Well, I just think up 120% on the year. Year to date is a lot. So there's a lot of good news in there. The numbers all, don't tell the, the whole story all the time. Well, possibly. And I know the ad revenues, digital ads are actually on the rise. They were up 4% last quarter, year over year. I mean, it, prior to that, the prior three or four quarters, it was negative and there was no visibility in sight. So I'll give you that maybe not all of it is in the stock, but I think a lot of it is in the stock. But I still own 
a 5% position. Yeah, so it's lot. not like I, mean, look, I'm going I, I get the nervousness it. of saying, well, the stock's up 100 and some odd percent. I'd be crazy not to take some off the table. But I'm, I'm just suggesting or throwing out the, the idea of the danger in that is we, we just don't know what, what know. The, the capabilities of AI are going to be in terms of earnings power it's an, and for it's, most of these companies. We just don't know. We're, 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 we're relying on what they're telling us. In some cases, no, nobody knows until you hear from the company. And Analysts can't model it, obviously, or they would have known what NVIDIA was going to going to drop. No, and, I, and, and then I mentioned digital ad. I mean, AI is really certainly helping them in getting that back to growth. So it's certainly helping. Uh, where does it get to? Does it get back to d double digits? Um, it's entirely possible, especially against easy comparisons. But again, I just I think it's prudent to take tram to, to take profits. Um, nothing's really wrong with ever taking profits. And so I still participate. I'm still a believer. But no one was a believer a year ago. Mm -hmm. I was getting hit every we single day. You and I were. We were getting hit every single day because we owned it. So now I'm willing to just sell a little. Okay, that's cool. Let's um, let's bring in our headliner, Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School, Professor Emeritus at the Wharton School, senior economist at Wisdom Tree. Of course, Professor, welcome back. We're talking about Happy who's be a believer and who's not a believer. Are, are you a believer in this rally? Or I see a headline that you, you said somewhere that the stock rally is going to end soon. Is that what you think? Well, <laughs> NVIDIA, which is a great company, I think it's selling for 123 times earnings. Uh, NASDAQ is selling for 30. Well, it's like 50 times. Uh, S&P like 50 20 times no, forward earnings. S&P, okay, a little less. S&P is uh, 20, less. which is, by the way, where I think S&P should be at 20. And the small and mid caps are at 14 and 15. Um, you know, if you're a long-term investor, uh, you know, you got to take that into account. If you're a short-term investor, you got to take momentum into account. And, uh, you know, being one of the older people, I think, that you interview, uh, but I think most of the people on your panel, we've lived through the 90s and the Internet, and it went much further <laughs> in terms of dispersion of growth and value back then uh, than it has now at this point. So, yeah, the dispersion is high, but can it get higher? Absolutely. Is the momentum there? Yeah, there are probably more momentum players now than there have been, you know, 20 years ago, although there have always been momentum players. So, you know, in terms of, you know, whether you're a long-term investor and, you know, the small and mid-cap, they begin to stir a little bit. Uh, momentum is still with those high-tech. And if there's any signs of recession, um, you know, last week uh, people asked me what was the most important thing I was looking at, and I said, you know, I think the CPI and PPI are going to come in nice. The Fed is going to pause very hawkishly, by the way. They may actually be, I, I think the dot pot's going to be startling to people because I think a number of them are going to raise um, their rate projections. Um, but actually, I'm looking at tomorrow's uh, jobless claims because uh, that was a little bit of a shocker last Thursday, and that's the first indicator you might see of softness. Now, again, it's a volatile short-run indicator. But my feeling is what's going to be driving the Fed for the remainder of the year is going to be the real side and the labor market more than the inflation. Inflation is going to calm down. The inflation is basically over. Now, I think I have a chart. I think you guys have uh, helped me prepare that. Um, I don't know if you can show you. Yeah, that the blue... Um, so that is core service inflation over the last year. The blue is shelter, which is the biggest single component. Now, 
That's because the Fed uses extremely lagged and I have to say faulty data uh, on housing. We know home prices are down. There was an article in Wall Street Journal today about year over year housing rates are zero or negative. But because of the lag way, that blue line is dominating. If you take the blue line out of that, you get core service inflation at 2% or less, which is exactly the Fed's goal. So, I mean, in essence, they have, have slewed the inflation. It is basically gone. There's the residual. There's the data problem. Uh, they should stop completely. I think they should have stopped before. Right. Um, and I'm worried about whether they stop soon enough, but we will see on that issue. I'm still confused, though, as to whether you think, Professor, that this rally is about to run out of gas or not. It doesn't look like it's going to run out of gas, I, even with, uh, you know, I'm, there may be a little sell off today at two o'clock when we see the uh, the dot plot people say, oh, my God, the Fed is going to get higher. And and he's going to take a very hawkish. He's going to say we're going to pause, but um, he's going to take a hawkish position. And, you know, we know the last six sessions uh, we've sold off two or three hundred points on the last hour of trading on the day that he's come he's come in. So if you want to look very short run, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the same thing happening uh, uh, today. Is, is it enough to uh, slightly derail the uh, the tech move? Usually one strike is not enough. It usually resurges again and continues on. There needs to be more of them. And we haven't had more of them yet. So I can see that the tech moving ahead and the spread widening in the short run. The, the further tech runs, does it make you more nervous or not? Yeah, it, it, it means it's more vulnerable to negative news in the future. And if, the, you know, some tech company that's doing so well, you know, gets a report, oh, my God, the competition is tough. Oh, they're not paying for the AI chips as I had hoped to. Are they finding the savings? Um, what's happening to consumer? Those cumulatives cause the correction. It's just that you never know when that might come. Momentum is there for the momentum players right now. You still think we're going to have a recession? I, I think that I think that there's a 50 percent probability that we're going to have one. I think it's going to be mild. Um, and I don't think it's going to cause profits to go down more than maybe five or 10 percent. And by the way, I think small and mid cap are positioned for I mean, when you're selling in value stocks. When you're selling 14, 15 times earnings, you're saying, you know what? I'm worried about a slowness in the economy. Now, the big tech stocks are not worried about the slowness in the economy because they, you know, they think they're they're priced for the mega trends and they're looking over that. But the small and mid cap people are saying, listen, I'm not going to touch those until we can get through that. It gives you bargains. Um, they may go a little bit lower if we get that recession, but not much more than five percent. And then I still think 2024. Looks good. You think the tech is fairly valued here or overvalued? Right now, I would say it is slightly overvalued from a long-term perspective. If you take a look at how tech is valued relative to the other stocks, um, that doesn't mean, again, that it won't continue to rise in the short run. And, and let's, let's be honest. You know, we, we, we compare with the past, but... We are seeing changes in the economy, and I, you know, you have to admit it. Um, uh, with AI and others, that may be different than the past. Enough to keep this story going.
for an awfully long time. Mm. Uh, but let me remind everyone, and we all know that, we live in a competitive world. If you really want to be a super growth stock for a long time, you've got to build a moat around you that no one can compete. Just because a particular good is, is growing faster and the demand is there, if you can't if you can't charge a premium for it, you're not going to get a premium valuation. So the question is, is there a moat? You know, that's the famous Warren Buffett words, a moat around it, which is going to make it harder for anybody to attack NVIDIA's chips or any of the other stocks that are moving so rapidly today. If you think there's a 50-50 chance at, at a recession still, would you urge people to buy, you know, deep cyclical stocks, industrials, yeah. things like that. You, you like those here, even as you I, think because, there's because they because they're selling at uh, 14, 15 times earnings. You know, I you know, I'm, I, I so if they go down to 12, you know, 13, 14, another five or six percent, I think that that is foolish to try to time that. I think once you get out of the dip that we might have when, the, you know, because I, you know, I think the Fed has gone too far, I think you have a really nice valuation and appreciation story later. And I'd rather people be in then than try to time any sort of recession right now. You know, that's a fool's errand. I think almost everyone on the panel will agree um, that it's almost impossible to do. Get into the cheaper stocks now, and I think you're going to be rewarded in the future. That's a good place to leave it. Good last word. Professor, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's Professor Jeremy Siegel down at the at the Wharton School. He, he agrees. <laughs> Professor Lincoln, Professor Siegel sound pretty similar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. If we go into a recession, the cyclicals are going to get hurt for sure. But I do think they are already so incredibly cheap, so incredibly under owned and their balance sheets are much, much better versus the last cycle. So I thought his comments were interesting about 2024 and how in, and how excited he is about it. That implies he thinks earnings are going to really snap back. Well, I mean, the, that they're priced to snap back. They better. The parts of the market that are pricing it and there are parts that aren't. We just talked about the cyclicals aren't pricing it, but the technology stocks certainly are. Yeah. So I think well, I mean, earnings it's... projections in general are, you know, projected to rebound pretty substantially. About 11% for sure. So I, but that's good. That's good news. Yeah. That's good news no, for stocks. Of course. All right. Well, still ahead. Our chart of the day. It's United Health. It is the worst performing stock in the Dow today, accounting for nearly every bit of that triple digit loss for the Dow. That's the worst day in roughly three years for UNH. Two of our committee members own it. We'll get their strategy on it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Let's check our chart of the day. It's sort of obvious by now what it is. There it is, seven, uh, 7% United Health. So, Carrie, you go first. Great. Uh, okay? Yeah. You go I'll, first. Okay. So, obviously, we're disappointed, but I think this is a, an overreaction. Okay, why is it an overreaction? Because this is about news that they're spending more money, that it costs more to have discretionary surgeries that people have postponed for three and a half years. Well, of course it costs more, but guess what else is going on? A lot of the hospitals are supply constrained. They can't really do all of these surgeries that people would like to have done. And so that slows the rate of growth in expenses. I'm not saying they're not gonna be higher, but insurance providers can reprice every year. So if the costs are going up, UNH has a chance to raise their prices. They also own Optum, and Optum has many surgical centers and outpatient facilities. And if there's more revenue going to surgeries, they will participate in that. But, but of course, it's not great to have, you know, one of a, the stocks that you really like in healthcare be down 7%, but it's I been know, but it's not just one day, though. I mean, it, not that it's been down 7% other days. It's just... This stock has not worked this year. Now, yeah, it was like the best died. one. Well, I know, but it, yeah. I think this was the best stock in the Dow last year. Yeah. Certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. So defensive stocks worked last year, and they're not working this year. We have a portfolio that has many, many growth stocks. And you can't have just growth stocks that are high octane. You have to have a combination. This is a name that has been working over time. We believe it's still going to have the type of growth that makes it attractive to most institutional investors and a lot of individual investors. And so, you know, sometimes you have things that come into play because of economic conditions. And, you know, we we think this will work itself out. Joe? I don't disagree with anything that uh, Carrie's saying fundamentally. Here's the problem. Okay. The problem is we all have different strategies on the show. And I'm observing fundamentals, but I'm also observing the technical formation. So I have a problem today with UNH. I have a problem today with Humana, which is down 13%. I have a problem today with Elevance, which is down 7%. Uh, In the most recent rebalance, what did we add? We added Intuitive Surgical and ResMed, which are working based on your thesis today. Okay, great. Congratulations, but that's not enough. So what am I left with? What I'm left with is broken momentum. You're left, with a, you cannot, you're left with a rebalance. You cannot question, okay, you cannot, you cannot dispute that you have broken momentum in a large majority of healthcare stocks. The fundamentals of these companies are fine, but the momentum is actually negative. Now, I can't do anything about it because I don't have the ability to speed up time. At the end of July, we'll see what happens. But I think Observing overall, and the professor mentioned momentum before, okay? Look at momentum in the market. There's actually in the cyclical strategy, negative momentum in healthcare, in energy, and financials. Industrials actually are maintaining positive momentum. So I'm not wildly optimistic about this cyclical story and healthcare and the names that I own right now. Unfortunately, they play to that. And I'm more concerned about the what, not the why. Your strategy is is kind of tough to uh, execute in some regards on a consistent basis. If momentum changes, momentum in this space 
has dissipated, disappeared, right? It has. So like in tech, when tech was lost all of its momentum, you did your rebalance. Then tech regains its momentum. The stocks end up up 30% by the time you're able to do your rebalance. You don't realize that you're lobbing me a softball. Let me res- no, let me let me answer the, that. The problem too is that these stocks out of favor in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You never know where momentum's yeah. going to go, and by the time you're able to make a move on it, it may be quote unquote too late. Not true. Not true at all. Okay, so very, very nimble. Not true at all. So uh, Steph and I talked about this before the show. The moves that were made at the end of April were up 50% on NVIDIA. We're up 25% on Adobe. We're up 25% on Netflix. We're up 10% no, I know. Well, on those, Apple. Well, we made yes. the moves that needed to be made were made. Now, let's go back to your initial thoughts on healthcare itself. In 2022, it's the reason why, and I say this all the time, I'm on CNBC, so what do I have to outperform? The S&P, the NASDAQ, the Russell, the Dow, the quality factor and momentum, and maybe some overseas indexes. Because I sit on CNBC, I get it. The benchmark is momentum. We outperformed in 2022 the S&P and momentum. Why? Because of the healthcare names like UNH. So now the strategy is telling me, okay, it's time to move to the sidelines. And what eventually happens is momentum, which has not been present in the market since the pandemic, eventually will evolve into a trend. And I want to be there for the evolution of that trend. I'll go back and we'll use Meta, for example. You could look at two things with Meta. You could look at the September high at 384, or you could, the September of 2021 high at 384, or you could look at the low from last year at $88. What do you see? Fundamentally, if someone looks at the market, they say, okay, eventually it's going to get to 384, but it probably needs to pull back first. When you look at momentum and you look at technicals, what you see is the stock is at 273, and the highest probability states that six funds from now, that stock will move more towards 384 than it will to correct. Very well explained. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad to give it to you. Contessa Brewer has the headlines. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update. Prosecutors coming out hard against a movie weapons expert who allegedly loaded a gun with a live bullet that resulted in the death of a cinematographer on set. Prosecutors accuse Hannah Gutierrez Red of likely being hungover when she loaded the prop. And they say witnesses will testify that she drank heavily and smoked marijuana in the evenings during the filming of Rust. The weapons expert has filed a motion to drop her involuntary manslaughter charge. A Mississippi police officer has been suspended without pay for shooting an 11-year-old boy last month. The child had called for help during a domestic disturbance. The boy survived after Sergeant Greg Capers shot him in the chest, but the child was treated for a collapsed lung and broken ribs. The 11-year-old's family is demanding the officer be fired. The U.S. House passed a bill keeping the federal government from banning gas stoves, despite the Biden administration's insistence it doesn't have any plans to do that. This is a response to dozens of cities that have moved to ban new buildings from using gas appliances as a way to combat greenhouse gas emissions. Scott, not only that, but then there's all the new research that indicates maybe there's an effect on your indoor air quality as well. Yeah. All right. Contessa, thank you. Sure. That's Contessa Brewer. Coming up, a Wall Street shopping spree. Analysts turning more bullish on retail today. That sector tries for its best weekly win since January. Best weekly winning streak since January. We're going to break down the biggest moves in our calls of the day next. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. We have some calls of the day we want to do. Uh, retail edition, if you will. Uh, Estee Lauder, Steph. Uh, Berenberg upgrades it today to a buy. 243 is the price target. What's your take here? It's, been, stock. it's been a terrible stock. It was a terrible 25% quarter. 25% down year to date. Terrible quarter last quarter. But the problem is they've now missed the last three quarters and guided down. And a lot of it has to do with supply chain issues, but also China just beginning to reopen and travel retail, which is 70 to 80% done in Asia, being down 43%. Now how much quarter. bad news you feel like absorbing? Well, that... Well, no, I actually think eventually they'll get it right. I mean, because X travel retail sales rose 10 percent in the last quarter. So you got to get this China thing fixed. It's about 30 percent of total revenue. And it's a big growth driver for the overall company. So I still like it. I'm staying patient, frustrated for sure. But I think numbers have come down and sentiment has come down enough. And it's an easy uh, hurdle to get, to get over. What about TJX? Matthew Boss, JPM. He's the number one retail analyst. He says TJX is best positioned to capture trade down demand overweight 96 bucks is is the price target yeah they definitely will benefit from trade down they'll also benefit from a recovery in new home sales which actually are at highs that not seen since last march because they have a home goods and home sense and they also benefit from all the excess inventory that's in the system um i think they can do two to three percent comps over the long term i think gross margins have upside due to freight costs coming down so i still like it not cheap but i still like it for the long term joe matt boss also puts dollar general on the focus list as a growth idea he had removed it in january so it's back target 187 overweights the rating smart man to have removed it now putting it back on i hope he's right uh it it's something that is a one of the seven consumer staple names that is in the joe t etf and it is the worst performing consumer staple name in the joe t etf costco is the best performing one um so this is a company that has had significant challenges both fundamentally and technically uh, kudos to Matt for removing it initially. I hope he's right from here. How long has it been in the Joe T? It's been in the Joe T since last year. Since last year, okay. Um, all right, it's down 33.5% year to date. Stay tuned. It's going to take a while. <laughs> it's going to take a while. It's an investment, it's an investment cycle you year. Speed up I can't help myself. <laughs> I couldn't help myself either. It's a tough chart. Can't help myself. Um, all right, straight ahead. We'll get you through the setup for Adobe. The stock is up more than 40% in the last month. Joe and Kerry both own it. They do report earnings tomorrow. But first, as we had to break a quick message as CNBC celebrates Pride Month. The LGBTQ plus community is not a monolith. There's lots of letters for lots of reasons, but those letters and identities intersect with race and ethnicity and disabilities. And so really focusing on setting an environment where people feel like they belong, where they feel that safety in being themselves, that is what companies can do right now to make sure that people can show up as their best self. All right, we're back. Uh, said Adobe reports tomorrow. There's the stock uh, today. It's just shy of 500 bucks or so. Uh, Carrie, you own it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Year so, to date up 43%. Well, 
it's really up in the last three weeks, 40 percent. The stock. No, you're right. You know what? You're right. It's up. It's up. Everything is in the last month. Right. Exactly. So this is a stock that has underperformed a lot of its peers because, you know, they're in the design and content creation business. It's digital advertising. That is not where the market has been lately. Uh, It's gotten a boost both because it's been down for so long. It's really a great company. Earnings should be up about 13 percent. We would expect the growth to continue over the next several quarters. They made an acquisition that the market didn't like. We understand that, but it's really a leader in its field. And now it's getting a boost because it is involved with AI to the extent that you can use AI for creation of all types, including what you can do with with design. So, you know, we believe that this deserves to go higher. We like it still here. We think the next several quarters, year plus, is going to be solid growth and that we're behind the stock here. We continue to like it. So there's, we believe it deserves to go higher. There's, there's after being up forty some odd percent yeah, in a but month. Look at the chart. Look at the longer term chart. This is been a really poor performer relative to other software stocks and what they've done. Well, I mean, it's blown away the IGV. This, this just lately. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. At some point, you know, all these stocks that are up forty some odd percent. I know you're probably laughing. All these stocks that are up forty plus percent in a reasonably short period of time, the bar just continues to go up, and they're going to have to continue to deliver in such a big way to justify these moves, are they not? Not everything's going to just get the AI halo forever. No, 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 of course not. That isn't why we own it. We bought it after the stock was down 25%. Then it went down more. Then we repurchased again, all right? So we have only recently made money on the stock. I mean, if you look at Many of these stocks, Salesforce, Meta, you you pick your tech name, depending on where you bought it, you might have made 40% or you might have made 5%. And for this one, there is room to grow because the fundamentals have not been with it over the last two years. You know, the Figma acquisition was a bad acquisition at the time. I think they're working it out. They're going to make it happen. But the market hated it. So we're starting to resolve that. They're integrating it. They changed the model. So there's more to go for Adobe. It's one of the top names. It is the leader in its field. Joe? Regulatory approval for the Figma deal still is not there. So that's called into question. They'll just buy back their stock if the deal doesn't go through. Uh, Generative AI for this company as a contributor, that's a second half story, maybe a 2024 story, not really a story for, for here and now. Has the stock gotten a little bit ahead of itself? Yeah, it maybe. probably has, but let's understand they increased prices last year on a lot of cloud products. That seems to be sticking. Spending's been more resilient than expected. So on this one, I think this is a wait and see what's going to ultimately happen post earnings. I would not be surprised to see the stock have a significant move in either direction, which means you probably buy some uh, straddles in the option market. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back. Final, no, not final. Grade my trade. Jumping the gun. Grade my trades. Up next. Grade my trade time. All right, uh, Stephanie Blinker first from Larry. Purchased IBM at 123.50 a few weeks ago. It's now at 138. So goodbye. I would give it an A, but of course I own it, so I'm biased. But this is a company that doesn't get credit for the transformation that it's doing, right? AI, cloud, blockchain, uh, data center, uh, and increasing their software business and recurring revenue as a result, and doing a little bit better on the top line as, as a result. It's not just a mainframe company anymore, and it trades at 14.7 times earnings cheap. Carrie, Holger in Germany, Blackstone. 
What, what should we do? Yeah, Holger, I would buy more Blackstone here. Trades are <coughs> under 15 times earnings with interest rates holding steady or perhaps, you know, remaining there for the rest of the year. P.E., uh, private equity companies do better when interest rates are, are steady. And we think the portfolio and the way they run it is excellent. Excuse me. Remember in a moment. <laughs> uh, Joe, Occidental Petroleum uh, from Mark. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not read anymore. Okay. Go ahead, please. <laughs> so I wish I could turn back time and make this 2022 because I think that's what investors think the energy market is this year, and it's not. And sentiment and positioning still reflects that type of mentality. I said before the other day, if I could sell more energy beyond the Pioneer and Devon uh, that was sold at the end of April, I would. So as it relates to uh, Oxy, which we obviously still hold as a position, uh, it's nothing more than a hold. All right, we'll do final trades next. I want to remind you to check out Kerry's new pro article on why the long-awaited recession has not arrived yet. You can read it right now at cnbc.com pro. Please check that out. Of course, a reminder to join me at 3 o'clock Eastern on Closing Bell. Right as Fed Chair Jay Powell ends his news conference, we'll be there with Jeffrey Gunlock, the double-line CEO, of course, for his first words, as always, on Fed Day. And we're looking very much forward to that. Hope you'll join me then. Let's do some final trades. Stephanie Link, what do you have? Zimmer, so higher utilization rates are very good for the device industry. And the recon market is growing 14%. This company's gaining share with operating margins and gross margins expansion as well. Good, good valuation, 18 times. All right, Joey? BlackRock, it's breaking out above all of its critical moving averages. And if you think about the asset managers themselves, they've struggled to grow AUM over the last year. So a second derivative trade on an improving equities market is to own the asset managers and BlackRock, clearly uh, the behemoth in that regard. Okay. Carrie. Well, if there isn't going to be a recession, people spend money. And InMode is a medical device company. It focuses on aesthetics. And, and there are a lot of people spending money on keeping themselves looking good. It trades at 11 times earnings. And we think a lot of upside. All righty. So we're going to get the Fed decision about an hour or so. Uh, market hanging in. Dow's down, but that's because of uh, United Health. You did have new highs today, though. There you see for the uh, NASDAQ and the S&P, new 52-week highs there. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.